Good morning, church family. Today's reading comes from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 18 through 23. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This has been the reading of God's Word. So uh, we're spending the 50 days from Easter to Pentecost uh, thinking about the implications of the resurrection. And, and this week we're looking at Ephesians 1, 18-23, uh, really honing in on verses 22 and 23, but the, the whole thing kind of gives us the background on what's going on here. And, and what is going on is Paul is writing a letter to the church at Ephesus, to the Ephesian believers, which is... He went and he had planted a church there in this uh, major city in the Roman Empire. And now he is uh, writing this letter to them. And in it, in this beginning of this letter, he writes this great prayer that he is praying for them. It's a, one of the sort of big prayers in the New Testament, if you will. In fact, it, you should, it should be worth your reading and studying this whole second half of the first chapter of Ephesians. And, and, and right here in this portion, what he's doing is, is he's praying that they're that they, the Ephesian believers may see and understand the hope and the riches that they have in Christ. That he, he's praying that they would get the immeasurable greatness of the power of God towards us who believe. And that's my prayer for you this morning. It's my prayer in general as a pastor, as an elder here at Doxa. It's also uh, my prayer for every person who is watching this right now. He says, well, let's just go back, uh, even though actually read it for us, let's just go back and listen to the context of a prayer. Uh, Paul says, "Having we're coming to the middle of the prayer here, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened so that God would show you what, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to, to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Now let's throw those key verses. And he, that is God the Father, put all things under his feet, that's Jesus, and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Look, look at the, the ending of that, those verses. He's, he's praying that the eyes of their hearts would be enlightened, that they would understand the riches of the glory of God, which is towards us, the, the inheritance that we have as believers. And then he ends it with verses 22 and verse 23, and he says that God's power, God's great power through Christ is going to fill the earth, and he says that he does that in and through his church. It, Here's something I know. Chances are, and I think this is true probably for almost all of us who are gathering here this morning virtually, chances are the church means more to Jesus and more to the world than you and I realize. 
The chances are that the church means more to Jesus and more to the world than most of us realize. What's he saying about the church? First of all, we see in verse 23, he says, the church is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Paul says the church is the body of Christ. Now, what does that mean, the church is the, the body of Christ? Well, of course, it's a metaphor. It's a metaphor that's describing our relationship to Jesus and our relationship to each other. Paul uses this analogy or this metaphor also in Romans, and he uses it in Corinthians. And there's lots of things that we can look at, and we don't have time to dive deep in that today, but we are going to kind of glance the stone over some ideas about it. In order to really kind of understand what is this metaphor saying, I think it would be helpful to, to real quick just think about what are some of the other metaphors that are used in the New Testament to describe the church. Uh, if we look at the other pictures that... God gives us other metaphors of what the church is in the New Testament. It kind of starts to give us a, give us a, a full or more well-rounded picture of what the church actually is and what are the things that he's describing. So, so he describes here that the church is the body of Christ. He uses that in several places. And also the church is described as God's family or the household of God as a family, a household that dwells together under the, the Father of, uh, of Jesus, uh, the Father who is God. Uh, it also describes the church as the bride of Christ. In fact, we saw that last week in the passage about the new heaven and new earth. It says that he saw the new Jerusalem coming down as a bride adorned for her husband, ready to be married for with her husband. He also uses the picture of a flock, that, that Jesus is the great shepherd and we are his flock, that, that we are often straying sheep, that the shepherd goes out and gra- gathers into his fold or into his flock and he watches over us and guides us there as his flock. He also describes the, the church as a kingdom. He describes Jesus as the king and, and us as subjects under the rule and reign of the good King Jesus. He also describes the church as a, as a temple or a, or a building. As a, that picture there is sort of the, as the temple was a building that housed the presence of God on earth, that the church is the carrier of the presence of God on earth, and that we individually are small temples that carry the presence of God with us. Now, all of these are metaphors, and all these metaphors break down at some point, so that we can only look at them as the as Scripture shows us. But let's look at some common pictures that we see that these metaphors are showing us, to, to show us what, what is the nature of the church. Uh, one of the things that it shows us, first of all, is it's, it shows us a union that we have with Christ. Do you hear those pictures? When it talks about that, that we are his body, that you cannot separate the head from the body and still retain life. That in many ways it is the, the head that gives energy and life and, and, and wholeness to the body. It's what, it's what, it's what sends out the, the nervous signals to the rest of the body. It's what keeps things going. It regulates things. It guides things. It, it, in many ways, it's the core of who we are as bodies, as people who have bodies. And in that same way, we are unified with Christ. His energy fills us, and there's if you remove us from him, there is no life there. The same way, that's what Jesus meant when he said, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. But if you are cut off from me, you won't bear any fruit. It's only from us remaining in the head, in the line of the body, that we are, that we bear fruit, but we are in union with Jesus Christ. Through his death, burial, and resurrection, our faith in him, we are unified with Christ. We see it in the idea of the family. 
My family is unified together. They, they share a name the same way that we now share the name. We, we share, we are under the household of God. We share the name of Jesus, our older brother. As a, a bride and our husband are unified together in marriage, so we are two become one. We are now unified with Christ. We are in union with him. There's this picture of not only just union, which is amazing, which would be worth a hundred million sermons to talk about what it means for us to be unified with Christ, but the picture there is also one of intimacy. When we see all these pictures, the, the body, the head and the body, and the, the family, and the bride in Christ, and the flock of God, and the kingdom of God, and the temple of God, the picture is this intimacy that we share with God as his body, as his church. The, the picture also, there's an idea of preciousness. The fact that we are the body of Christ and that we are his family and we are members of his flock and his kingdom is the idea that God looks at his church in ways that are precious. That's why we're described as the bride of Christ. We are precious to him. We are valuable to him individually and together as his church. Another idea that's here is the direct leadership of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. Nobody else is. Nothing else is. He directly leads the church at large, and he leads us individually. Jesus Christ is our older brother. God the Father is our father in our family. He directly leads us. Jesus Christ is the shepherd. Uh, I, as an elder, the other elders here at Doxa, we are not shepherds. We are under shepherds under Jesus Christ. Our, uh, we have no authority. We have no ability outside of what flows from the head, from the good shepherd, from the great shepherd to his body through us. And anytime we step out of that, we are moving away from any sort of authority or leadership. Another picture there that, that we kind of should blow our mind is the indwelling of God. All these pictures show it. The, the body of Christ, his energy, his life flows to us. But, but also this temple idea that we are his temple and God's presence indwells his church. That we are the vessel, we are the place, the church collectively, each church individually, each local church, and each believer as a part of that whole, we carry with us the presence of God on earth. We are the carriers in the resting place of God's presence on earth. That is amazing, and it should blow our minds. So, so think about that in terms of what he's been telling us about verse 18 through 21. He's talking about how Jesus Christ is exalted, and he's supreme. And there's immeasurable riches and greatness towards us because he rose again from the dead and he is seated at the right hand of God and he bears and holds all authority in heaven and on earth. And now he says that Jesus who possesses all authority in heaven and earth due to his resurrection, that he is exercising that authority and spreading his fullness across all of earth, the fullness of him who fills all in all, and it says that he's doing so through his church. Jesus is exercising and establishing his good rule and his good reign across, across creation, and he's doing so through his church. He's doing all those things in the church. So we are, what he's saying is we are his body. It says that we are the carriers of God's presence, and we are his representation here on earth. Isn't that amazing? The church, I don't know what you think about church is or what the purpose of church is. 
And we all have different things, right? Like church is something I go to on a Sunday or now I watch on a screen or a church is a group of people that I check in and out of or a church is a sort of a club that I'm a part of or a group that I associated with. I'm at this church now and now I'm at this church because I like their music or I like their preacher or I like their people or I like their building and that place is too cold and those people aren't that this way or they have better coffee or whatever reasons like I hope that none of them are that are that small but many of us have many reasons that we are where we are and it showcases though how we view the church and Paul is saying that the church is God's dwelling place and God's representation on earth do we look at it like this is that our experience of what the church is if it is or if it isn't, and I think most of us, we'd say, yeah, I see that in little glimpses. But that's not overall my general experience of church. When I think about this, I think about how Jesus describes the, his church as his bride. And if you love Christ, you'll love what he loves. And he loves his church. And so I, I love his church as well. But man, my experience with the church has been kind of up and down. My experience with the church is that I see at times like glimpses of what it could be. And I see Christ moving in his church and his presence here and amazing things. And then I often see like a lot of other stuff. And that's why Paul is praying this prayer. He's part of the reason that he's praying this prayer is that we would understand the greatness of God's power towards us who believe and we would see how that happens in and through the church. It, it happens, look, verse 22, he says, He put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. It, it's telling us that Jesus rules and leads his church directly. Think about that. When we think about all the church things that we've talked about the church is supposed to be. All the things the church represents. All the things that should be therefore happening if we are the the, the, represent, the representation of Jesus on earth, if we're his physical body here on earth, if, if we are the place where God's presence dwells on earth among men in the church, then, man, we, like, how does that happen? How is that going to work out through us? It says that he, Jesus, God himself, rules all things, and the one who rules all things is the one who rules his church. That should bring great encouragement to us this morning. Because the success or failure of the church does not rise or fall on her leaders. It does not rise and fall on the ability of you and me to do the things that are involved in being a part of church. It doesn't rise and fall on our sinfulness and our failures or our holiness or our successes. The success of the church rises and falls on the leader of the church, the head of the church, Jesus Christ himself. God put all things under Jesus Christ, and then he gave, it says, Jesus Christ to the church as his head. The authority that Jesus is given is then given to the church to accomplish the mission that he gives us. Jesus said, all authority on heaven and earth, this is after he had been risen again, he said to his disciples, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go into all the world and make disciples. Because Jesus possesses all authority, then he bestows on the church all the authority that we need from him to accomplish his work. Now, that means that we should be, when we should be moving and being the church through the authority of Jesus, not under poor substitutes for that authority and that power. 
And there are a lot of poor substitutes. Just a couple of them is a very poor substitute for power, for the authority of Jesus is political authority or political power. I believe large swaths of the American church have been distracted by looking at political power as the source of how the church is supposed to fulfill her mission. And Jesus didn't say, get elected and put judges in place. Though I'm not against those things. But he didn't say that is how authority is going to be exercised and the church is going to fulfill her purpose. He says, my authority has been given, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, you go and make disciples. That is the authority he's given us to do. We're not trying to make a kingdom here and now. We just looked at last week. The kingdom of Christ is spreading through the church and one day he will return and he will set it up his good rule and reign in a new heaven and a new earth when no division between heaven and earth then exists. But until then, it will exist. And anytime we as believers start to try to exert the authority politically here or build a political kingdom, Every single time in the history of the church that we try to do that, it has failed. Do you know why? Because I think God causes it to fail because he will not let us ultimately confuse political authority with the authority of the church to go and make disciples and establish his good rule and reign on earth through the church. Another poor substitute is cultural power, cultural authority. As we look around the American landscape, the Western landscape, we can say, oh man, things are going to hell in a handbasket. Things aren't the way they used to be 50, 100 years ago. We've got to go back to that. No, that's, no, there's no concept of that in Scripture. God's not trying to take us back to an age 50 or 100 years ago. God is taking us forward to a new heaven and a new earth under the righteous rule and reign of Jesus Christ. And His rule and reign, His authority flourishes no matter what is going on in the culture around us. And anytime we try to get in a cultural uh, uh, tug-of-war back and forth with other people, then we've gotten our eye off the prize instead of seeing what God is doing on earth through the church by exercising His rule and reign. Anytime that we feel that we've lost authority or we've lost power as the church, we try to clutch it, political or cultural power, we're going down the wrong road. And we'll see our power and authority only diminish to accomplish the work that God has called us to do. What are the true sources of authority? Is God's word, the gospel of Jesus Christ, as delivered to us in Scripture, in the name of Jesus. That's the only authority that we have, and it's the only authority that we need. Hear Jesus' word. He says, And these signs will accompany those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven. Here, the resurrected Christ and sat down at the right hand of God as he gave the church the authority to do what he called us to do. In John 14, he says, Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that my Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. In John 15, he says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. You want know to say the saying that the authority of Jesus Christ working through the church should result in much fruit. Not result in political power or cultural power, but it should result in much fruit, and that fruit being making disciples. 
pressing against the, the darkness and seeing those who are in darkness, those who, are, who were, were dead in their trespasses and sin, come to life. Seeing those who are outside of the family of God being brought into the family of God. See those who were broken and who the veil had covered their face so they could not see the beauty that is found in the face of Jesus Christ or suddenly have the, the veil taken away and the blinders taken off their eyes and they suddenly see and savor the beauty of Jesus Christ and are brought near to him. That should result in much fruit. But the question is, does it? Do we see this in the church? Do we see that kind of authority, that kind of power being exercised to the church, the kind of authority to speak the word of God clearly, boldly, but yet humbly and lovingly to people and seeing eyes opened and the lost brought in? Seeing believers growing in their faith and seeing the church militant and triumphant moving by God's power to fulfill the mission that he gave us, and not a shadow mission. He's given us his authority to accomplish his mission. But then, how are we to accomplish that? I mean, we know we have his authority, but how does that actually work? How does that, how does that, if we're called to make disciples, we're called to see the kingdom of God established and extended, though not politically and not necessarily culturally, but Person to person, it, Jesus described it sort of like the kingdom of God is like yeast that goes into a lump of dough. He described it as a, as a mustard seed that is planted and, and you don't see much happening. All of a sudden you turn around and it's filled the whole lump of dough and, and the, the mustard seed has come up and it's bearing fruit. It, it happens quietly. It happens person to person. It happens counterculturally. How are we going to accomplish this even though we, we know that we have the the, the word of God, and we have the name of Christ that we are to proceed under. How does this happen? How does this proceed? Well, it says here that, that the fullness of Christ fills the church. Look at this. This Christ, let's look at some things that it says about this Jesus. It says that he, there's a measurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. According to the working of great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, above all rule and authority and power and dominion. To understand the power and the fullness that he's saying in verse 23 that fills the church and therefore will, will fill all of creation, we have to understand, first of all, that what power is he talking about? And that we're saying that this is the kind of power that declared Jesus Christ Lord of all and a great demonstration of power at his resurrection. A great power that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of God. There was a demonstration of unimaginable power on that Easter morning when Jesus Christ, who was dead in the grave, suddenly rose again to newness of life, appeared to 500 people over the next days, and then is now seated at the right hand of the Father and has sent his spirit upon his and in his church. There was a display, a demonstration of unimaginable power at the resurrection of Jesus. And there was, then the church was birthed in a demonstration of great power. Think about Pentecost, Acts 1 and 2. The church, a bunch of snivelly, weak, ineffective, cowardly believers who are hiding away, nothing uneducated from Galilee, hiding up in the upper room, all of a sudden the power of God falls upon them and the church, Christian church is birthed on the morning of Pentecost 
and it goes forth in great power as the church is birthed. 3,000 souls brought into day one, and it proceeded through Jerusalem, Judea, and the uttermost parts of the earth. The source of this great power is Jesus Christ and his resurrection power, which is poured out upon us and within us by the Spirit of God. We know that we see that the church possesses the source of that great power, and we know that we have an assurance that that great power, that a fullness of God is filling us to accomplish the purpose that God gave the church because Jesus Christ is seated. Hear the wording there? He is seated at the right hand of the Father. And because Jesus Christ is seated there, interceding for the church, we know that all the power and the fullness that we need to fulfill His purpose so that his fullness may fill all in all, his purposes may be accomplished, is resting in that risen Christ. Here's this prayer that Jesus prayed in John 17. He said, I don't ask for these only. It's the middle of another middle of a prayer. He said, I don't ask for these only. That's the disciples that he was with. I don't ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So that's us. All of us believe through the word of the apostles that they may be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they may also be in us. Hear that? The Father's in the Son, the Son's in the Father, in the same way we are in the Son and the Father. They may also be in us, so that, that, here's why, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me I have given to them that they may be one, even as we are in one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so the world may know that you sent me, and love them even as you have loved me. The Spirit of God filling the church creates a great unity, and it fills the church with a great power in the same way that the Father filled the Son to accomplish the work. And now we, Jesus said, greater works than I do shall you do. What is he talking about? We can't do any greater work than being risen from the dead. But here's the work that he means. He means the church at large and all the individual representations of it, that's you and me, as we scatter across the world into all our places, we take the presence of God for the purpose of God into the mission of God with his power and with his authority to accomplish all that he intends us to accomplish. The very fullness of Christ is shown in and through the church. This is God's great plan. Paul called it the great mystery that had been hidden for ages and generations. In Colossians, he said, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery which is in Christ in you, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. But you know what? Just as there are poor substitutes for the authority of Christ, there are poor substitutes for the fullness and power of God. We can rely on the church in persuasive power. We can rely on the church in marketing power. We can rely on the church in charismatic leaders, and we can rely on the church in showmanship. There are certain gathering techniques that we can do as church to gather people and get people on board and get people digitally plugged in and get them on this sort of course and get them on our rolls and get them in our buildings. But that's not the power that God is talking about here. He's talking about the same power that filled Christ. And raised him from the dead is the power that should fill the church to accomplish the mission that he sent the church to do. Now, here's what I'm asking you this morning. Does your heart cry out for this? 
you're a believer, here's what I know your heart does. You say, yes, Lord, do this. And a part of your heart cries out and says, Lord, why don't we see this? And if, and if you're not a believer, I, I bet even a part of your heart says that even if I don't know if any of this is true, even if I'm not sure about Jesus or the church or any of the stuff that you're talking about, I wish it was true. I wish I could see that kind of power, that kind of authority, that kind of beauty demonstrated through the church, because then at least I could know whether this thing is real or not. So that they may know. Here's what we should do. We should cry out to the Lord and say, God, why not us? Not in a whiny, snivelly way, but say, God, why not us? You, you're giving us your authority and your power. We know it's your intention to demonstrate your power and authority in all the world through the church. So we're saying, God, would you do that in me and through our church and through the church at large today, Lord, would you do it? We cry out to the Lord and we also repent. We say, God, I repent that I have thought less of the church, less of my role in the church, less of our church, less of my church, less of the church at large than the way that you view it. It's been said like this. The local church is the hope of the world. And I don't 100% buy into that, but that's kind of what this is saying. It's in that Jesus Christ is the hope of the world, and because he is, his fullness fills the church, and therefore we are the link to the, a dead and dying world to the hope that's found in Jesus Christ. Let that be true of us. God has planned that the glory of the risen Christ would be shown through his church. Let's not be content with anything less. Nothing less. I'm going to pray. Right where you are, maybe you, need, maybe you need to repent of the way that you have viewed the church. Maybe you're not a believer and you need to... You need to come to Christ and accept Him and bow your knee to Him as Lord and Savior. Maybe God's doing a work in your soul. If He is, we'd love to pray with you. This number's going to appear on the bottom of the screen. You can text in that number to say, would you pray for me? Or here's something God's doing. Would you, would you, here, I need some help. I need some guidance. I need next steps. We'd love to help you through any of those. And as I pray, um, we're going to come back and we're going to sing together. And I hope you won't sign off yet. I pray that you will sing right where you are praises to the God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has all authority in heaven and on earth, and say, in your heart of hearts, be praying, God, do it again. Use this situation we're in right now as a church, and would you pour out your spirit upon us in your authority and your fullness to accomplish your purpose in your way. Father, we pray those things. God, help us not to be content with anything less. Pour out your spirit upon us, we pray, for the glory of Christ, for our eternal joy. In the name of Jesus.